0: Let me first be clear that I do not think the movie Bruce Almighty is in any way a good source of proper theological understanding of who God is, nor is it a great movie for kids, but uh, there are a few good moments in that movie that, and a few lessons kind of scattered throughout it. And In the movie, uh, Bruce Nolan, who's played by Jim Carrey that you saw in the clip, um, he is a, a uh, TV anchor. And he loses out on this promotion. And when he loses out on his promotion, life is not going well for him. He really complains not just against his life, but he really complains that God is treating him unfairly, that God is like this big bully that's really just got his thumb pressed down on him and, and, and really against everything that Bruce is trying to do. And so God has this way of interacting with Bruce and basically tells Bruce, Listen, if you think you can do this job better than I am doing it, then I will give you the powers to do it if you think you can do it better. And so let's be honest, most of us sitting in church would be like, oh no, we we would definitely not do that except for the fact that we would, and we do. We always think that we have a better idea than God does, we have a better solution than God does. So Bruce says, all right, fine, God, I can do your job better than you are. And so um, God gives Bruce kind of these special abilities, these special powers, and when he first gets these powers, he he uses them for selfish, very self-centered reasons. Some of you have seen the movie, like, he finds out that he can... Um, split a bowl of tomato soup like he splits the Red Sea. And uh, he finds out that he has the ability to um, uh, make people's voices change and their mouth move and he can control people certain ways. And And so then he starts hearing this array of voices throughout the movie, different parts of it. He just hears all these voices in his head. And it's not a clear one person voice. It's a whole bunch of kind of mumbled mess that he hears. And And so he's trying to figure out what these voices are. Why does he keep hearing all these voices? And so he, he gets back in touch with God and, and God says, well, those are prayers. Those are things that people are praying for. And by the way, I didn't want to overwhelm you, so I didn't give you all the prayers of the world. I just gave you the prayers of your city and the area right around it. That's all you're hearing. And so he said, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And that's where the clip picks up. Well, you want the job. I guess you better get to doing it. You need to answer these prayers. And so uh, Bruce is trying to figure out a way to make these voices go away because there's just so much going on in his head. He can't, he can't take it all in. He can't handle it all. So he he tries to figure out this system, and he, he develops this system where all the prayers, instead of hearing them in his head, they're all converted into kind of this email system. right? And you may have noticed that he started with like a million and a half emails, and, and then he just starts replying yes, 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 and he thinks he's making this huge dent in this pile of emails, and then he downloads a new batch, and now he's over three million behind. And notice what he said, bunch of whiny people. And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He just hits reply all. Three letters, Y-E-S, yes, to every request, yes to everything. It didn't matter what you were praying for, it didn't matter how uh, important it was, how big it was, how small it was, simple reply, yes, every prayer, you get what you want. And this sounds really good at first, right? Let's be honest. If, if we were one of those people who were like, this is exactly how God should work. This was what, I mean, if every prayer we ever prayed was answered yes, how great that would be, right? In fact, if you watch some of the rest of the movie, there's a guy who actually gets taller um, because he has been praying for that. And I tell you, I've been praying that for years, and it still had not happened, okay? There's another lady, this is my favorite, and she lost over 40 pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet, Okay, This sounds perfect. Why doesn't God answer every prayer with a yes like He does in this movie? But if you watch the movie, you, you know that it doesn't take long for things to turn out not so well because people get everything they pray for. And so there are thousands of people who all win the lottery at the same time. Well, when you take the millions of dollars and you suddenly have to divide that by thousands and tens of thousands of people, they win like 17 bucks apiece. Well, then there's a riot going on because people think the lottery's rigged. There's a a riot going on because all the teams have won their championship. I don't know how that works, but every team won the championship. And so people are in the street. They're protesting. They're rioting. All this crazy mess is happening. And so in this mess that that Bruce realizes he's really created because he gave everybody what they wanted, he calls out to God, and God meets him, and they start cleaning things up. And, And they have this conversation, and Bruce tells God, he said, they were just... There were just so many prayers, I just gave them all what they wanted. And this quote from God, Morgan Freeman in the movie, he said, Yeah, but since when does anybody have a clue about what they really want? And there is a bit of truth in that. We all think we know what we want. And this world has 7.5 billion people in it, and we all think we know what we want. In fact, we all think that if we could just get to this point, or if we just had this one thing, if we just won the lottery, then all of our problems would be taken care of. If our team won the national championship, then all of our problems would be taken... If we just had this then everything would fall into place for us. And so we think we have this idea of this is what we want and this is what we need. If we just had this, then everything would work out for us. And the truth is that most of us really have no idea what that looks like on a cosmic level. And most of us really have no idea of what it looks like if we got everything we wanted. And so sometimes the best answer that our loving God and our loving Father can give us is a very simple no. Because even though it sounds harsh and it may be difficult to understand the times, sometimes the answers to our prayers need to be no because there's something better in store for us. Not because we want it, not because we're asking for it in a certain way, but because what's best for us is not always what we're asking for. And so this morning we're going to continue looking at Paul's prayers, and and this is a little different than what we've been looking at over the past couple weeks, but we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, uh, three little short verses, or four short verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this time, um, like I said, we've been looking at Paul's prayers, and and this time Paul gets a, a different answer, and this is different because what we've looked at so far is Paul praying outward, he's praying for these other people, but in this section we get this small glimpse of something that Paul is praying for himself, something he's asking himself or something he's asking God for himself but this time we find out the answer you see all those other prayers that we've looked at are great prayers they're they're eternal value prayers and they're salvation prayers and those are great prayers but we never find out an answer to those prayers this one we find out a very clear answer to and God's answer is very clearly no and so I'm grateful for this passage because let's be honest some of the prayers that you're praying the answer is going to be no And so how do we deal with that when God says no? So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start in verse 7 and we'll read through verse 10. But I need to warn you that uh, verse 7 is one of those weird verses. It, it, It starts right in the middle of a sentence. Okay, I'll go back and explain it to you a little bit later. But verse 7 says, especially because the extraordinary revelations. That's the odd part. And then it says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to torment me so that i would not exalt myself concerning this i pleaded with the lord 3 times to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for your for you your power or excuse me my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, catastrophes, persecution, and even in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. God, this morning we are praying exactly as Paul ends his prayer, exactly with the understanding that Paul ends this passage with. God, we pray our weaknesses God, I'm praying this morning that our weaknesses become vividly honest and exposed. God, to ourselves, but also to you. God, I am praying this morning for the folks that are gathered in this room, the folks that are watching online. God, I am praying that we realize our weaknesses. And God, our weaknesses are not what we want to talk about. It's not what we want to think about. It's not what we focus on, especially when we live in this this culture that tells us just to work harder and pick yourself up and go. God, I pray this morning we exalt in our weaknesses. God, that we will delight in our weaknesses. God, in the insults, the persecutions, and the pressures. God, I'm praying this morning for the people gathered in this room and the people who are watching online. God, those who are waiting desperately to hear an answer from you. God, I'm praying for folks who have been praying for something for years and yet you have been silent to them. I pray, God, that this morning you will speak to them through your word. God, I pray for us who you've given uh, wisdom to, that you have given words and answers to. God, I pray that we will see that what we ask for is not always what's best. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us this morning, that you answered our prayers, but in a very different way than we expected. And God, I pray this morning that we will learn to trust you in that. And so, God, I pray this morning you speak to our hearts. I pray that our hearts are wide open, God, every part of them. God, that our weaknesses, our insults, our pressures, our persecutions, God, they are all laid wide open to you this morning. And so, God, I pray that you reside in us. I pray that your power is realized in us. God, I pray that we are so weak this morning that we have nothing else to cling to except you. And God, because when we do that, you will be exalted above all else. And so, God, I know it sounds odd, but we are praying for weakness this morning. For myself, for this praise team, for everybody that is here being part of this service. God, we are praying that we are weak. God, so that you are exalted. And so, God, I pray that in our weakness you speak. And I pray that we are ready to hear your word this morning. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I heard of a, a pastor who uh, was moving to a new area and to a new church, and his wife was excited to find out that at the new church they were going to, they had a ladies' prayer group that had been established and been meeting there for uh, years as part of this church. And so she was excited because as soon as they accepted the job or he accepted the job, um, the, the ladies from that group invited her to start joining. And so we, they met once a week, and so they were so excited uh, about having the pastor's wife join them. She was so excited because she really saw this as a great opportunity to, to get to know these ladies. Not just know their names, but really kind of on a personal level. She was going to get to know these ladies and, and have this great connection with them before they even got to the place they were going. And so this was going to be this awesome opportunity. And so she went to the very first meeting after they invited her and she said that the group sat down kind of in a circle and they were all sitting there and they had their little notepads out and uh, they kind of did what a lot of stu- or Bible studies do or small groups do or, or prayer groups do. They started just naming all prayer requests and they kind of started in one area and just went around the circle naming prayer requests and so the pastor's wife just sat there and she was kind of in the middle of the group and she said that as she sat there she started to notice about after the third or fourth lady that everything they mentioned was their prayer request for someone else in the community right that, that everything they, that they were praying for wasn't about anybody in that room and so her first initial thought was this is great These ladies are so well connected with their community. They know so much about their community. These ladies are so concerned about the people that are around them in this community. Man, they love this community so much. They meet once a week and they pray about this group so much. All these people that are around them, man, this is great that these people have a heart for all the people that are around them. And so they they finished the prayer request. They they said their prayers. Some prayed out loud. Some prayed silently. And then they said amen they all went home. And next week, the pastor's wife went back, and the same thing. They started with going around the circle. They had the uh, same idea of prayer requests. They were all for other people, uh, but they they so the requests were different, but the same idea. We're always praying for other people. We're always reaching out with our prayers. We're always praying for these people who are not in this room. And so, after several weeks of this, the, the lady uh, or the pastor asked her why asked his wife, excuse me. He said, "How's it How's it going? Do you feel like you're connected with the ladies in that group?" And so the wife said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know any more about those ladies now than I did the first week that I went. And he said, well, what do you mean? Like, you've been going to this prayer group with them. You've been praying with them and for them uh, for weeks now. How How do you not know anything more about them? And she said, well, that's it. We don't pray for each other. We pray for everything else and all these other people that are outside of this group. And so I know their names, but I don't know anything else about them because nobody prays for anything in their own life or asks for prayer in their own life. And so the pastor said, well, why don't you do this? This next week, why don't you go in? And when they're doing prayer requests, why don't you just simply ask, what can I specifically pray for you? I really want to pray for you specifically. What is it that I can pray specifically for you? And the wife thought, okay, this is going to work great. And so the next prayer meeting comes around, the next prayer time comes around, and they're all sitting around, they're going around the room. And and the the pastor's wife intentionally sat at the very end of the circle. She knew where they always started because apparently it's a good Baptist group and they always do the same thing over and over and over. So she knew exactly where to sit, where she was going to be kind of the last person before the person who who prays. Um, And so they went around the circle. They're all making these requests. And so she gets her opportunity and she says... I I, I have a question. I have really enjoyed praying with you ladies and being here with you ladies, but I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you guys to feel free, any of you, to tell me something specifically that I can pray for you or for your family or for your kids or for your husband, anything specifically that's personal to you. And she said, I just sat there. There's all these ladies who are so excited to pray for everybody else. All these ladies that came with this full list of, of praying for other people. They just sat there in silence. And she said there was this awkwardness in the room. And it's one of those awkwardnesses where like everybody's kind of looking and focusing on the same thing. And all of a sudden somebody asks a question, and it's like, oh, um, that's a nice curtain. We're gonna look at oh yeah, we need to dust that window over there. Like that was kind of what she was feeling. There was just this awkwardness that was going on because nobody was willing to say anything. Nobody was gonna talk at all. And so finally she realized how awkward this was and how this kind of really changed the dynamics of the group. And she was like, all right, well, we'll just, uh, we'll just forget that never happened and we'll just pray. And so she kind of passed it on to the, the person who was going to start the prayers. And so afterwards, after they did the prayer request and they said the prayers and they said amen, everybody got up and they started leaving. Well, this pastor's wife knew that she had kind of overstepped her boundaries. And so she went to the lady who started the prayer group and she said, listen, I, I just want you to know I'm so sorry that, and I apologize for, for making that a very awkward moment. And, and I didn't mean that to be awkward in any means. I wasn't trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And so she was really apologetic. And, and finally, the lady who started the group and was in charge of the group, she said, no, it's okay. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. it. It's just That's not what we're used to. And she was like, oh, okay. And she said, well, and honestly, the lady who started the group told the pastor why. She said, honestly, I was, I was going to say something when you asked that question I was going to ask that you be praying for my marriage because we are really struggling and she said but the problem was I looked down at my list and I saw all these people that had life threatening situations and I thought how selfish would I be to pray for something as small as my marriage when these people are facing life and death situations how, how everything that I was going to ask you to pray for suddenly seemed so small and so petty that it wasn't worth mentioning definitely wasn't worth praying over and she said honestly To be honest with you, I was always taught growing up that if you're going to pray, don't waste God's time. Don't waste His time on the personal stuff. Always focus on the big stuff, the stuff that really matters. And so the pastor's wife was just listening to all this, and finally she said, you know, that's the great thing about God. He's got all the time in the world. And in fact, every stuff you pray for is somebody's personal stuff. You might as well put yours on the cart and just take it on when you go with the rest of it. You see, what the pastor's wife was trying to get her to understand is what Paul tries to teach us here, is that it's okay. In fact, you should be praying for the personal stuff in your life. You see, over the past couple weeks, we've went through three of Paul's prayers, and we're going to continue um, into November going through some of these prayers. And if you notice that everything we've been praying for, or everything that Paul's been praying for, they're all external. They're all praying for somebody else. Here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. And these are all very good prayers. We've been going through them. They're all eternally focused, man. And so I'm praying that you've been challenged like I've been challenged this these past few weeks to really get our focus on God and God's kingdom and God's uh, desires as we pray for each other as we pray for thanksgiving as we pray for all this different stuff that, that really our, our prayers have been kind of molded and shaped in the form of paul's prayers and so this is where this is very different because for the very first time and all that we've talked about so far and to my knowledge i could be mistaken about this to my knowledge this is one of the very few times that paul ever says this is what i'm praying for for myself paul gets very personal in this moment and, and so we go to verse seven and right before verse seven He's talking about these extra revelations that he's gotten. He's amazing where Paul, this is the passage where Paul is called up into the third heaven. He's able to see heaven, uh, like almost that he's there, that this is a very physical experience for him. And so this amazing experience is is the reason for him to brag. This is a, something that he's seen that nobody else has seen or experienced. And so Paul says, listen, I could have been using this experience that I've had that none of the other apostles have had, that that you kind of treated me as a second-rate apostle, that I'm not as good as the other. Listen, I've been where they haven't been. I could be bragging about this. He says, but instead of bragging about it, God did something different for me. So right uh, before verse 7, he's telling about these amazing revelations. And so uh, then he he starts verse 7. He says, especially because of these extraordinary revelations, because of these pictures, these visions of heaven, these, these presence of heaven that I've been in, he says, therefore... So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself." Right? Now, if you read different authors, there are tons of people that have speculated what Paul is talking about. What does he mean a thorn in his flesh has been given to him? What is he talking about? Right? And so there's all kinds of speculations and people trying to narrow down what Paul is talking about. Some of them think it's a physical thing, like, like that he's got some kind of physical handicap or he's got a speech impediment. Some of them will say uh, that he's had headaches and some of them will say that he had kind of a malaria type disease that caused these headaches. All right. So some of them kind of focus on the physical because it's a thorn In his flesh. And there's other people that it would suggest, no, it probably wasn't physical. It may have been more of a spiritual or kind of an emotional situation that he was dealing with. Maybe there's a particular sin that he's been tormented by and he's he's been struggling with. And so for some of you, you know that because that's where you're at. For some of you, for some folks, they would say, no, it wasn't that. It was that he really had to deal with depression, that that he was struggling with depression throughout his ministry. You can see it in some of his writings and some things he's praying for. And so, folks, will point is that. Other folks will say that, that it was um, other things that, that could have been part of this physical or kind of psychological or spiritual struggles that he was having. And the truth is that, that we can go through and we can speculate all we want to, but we don't know. Okay, So all these great theologians come up with all these things that they think Paul is talking about, but we don't know. Because this is the only time Paul mentions this. He doesn't ever go through and say, this thorn in my flesh was this. Right? He doesn't tell us that. And I think he's very intentional in not telling us that. I think the Holy Spirit's very intentional in not telling us that. Because if he told us specifically what it was, then if that's not you, you could wipe this whole thing off. Like, oh, well, I don't have that, so this doesn't apply to me. But the fact that we don't know means that anything could be the thorn in the flesh, which means anything that could be applying to you could be fitting into this passage. And so this could have been something very big. It could have been something very small. It could have been something extremely irritating like a thorn or a briar would be. It could have been something very big and large that a lot of people knew about and something painful because the root word for this is more of a tent spike than just a thorn. So we don't know what it is. But what we do know is this is something very personal to Paul. This is a struggle, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual. This is a struggle that Paul is dealing with and has dealt with for a while. And so I want you to notice how he deals with this struggle in verse 8. He says in verse 8 that concerning this, concerning this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. And he pleads with the Lord. He's praying that God will take this thorn from him. And whatever it is, he wants it to take it away. And so I don't want you to miss this because people jump to verse 9 and verse 10. They overskip this part so often. I don't want you to miss this. This is not Michael Rakes we're talking about. This is Paul the Apostle we're talking about. Arguably, this is the greatest missionary of all time. This is the guy who had the personal encounter with Jesus Christ when he's walking on the road to go arrest and persecute Christians. This is the guy that, that Jesus stopped everything and stopped him in his tracks and said, hey, Paul, stop what you're doing and come follow me. He changed Paul's life from that moment on. And this is the guy who's praying all these great, powerful, deep prayers for everybody else in all these other churches. And he started all these other churches. This is Paul that we're talking about. This is the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. And what is he doing here? This is what I'm praying for myself. Something very, very personal to Paul. Something that's very significant to him. And, and honestly, other people might have considered this significance as very small. They may consider this small and insignificant. Paul, it's just a little thorn. It's not a big deal. I don't know why you would even bother God with that. But listen, Paul doesn't feel bad about this. He doesn't feel guilty about this. Yeah, he's praying all these great prayers for all these other people and all these other churches, but he takes time to pray this for himself. And he doesn't feel guilty about it. He, he doesn't feel like his prayers are insignificant. He doesn't feel selfish for it in any way. In fact, there's no text anywhere in the Bible that God tells him, Listen, Paul, you shouldn't be praying like that. There's no text that tells us we shouldn't be praying for ourselves or for things in our lives. So I want you to understand me clearly that Paul is this great apostle, and he's praying for these personal things in his life, and understanding we need to take note that we need to be praying for the personal stuff in our lives as well. I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for other people. In fact, that's what we've been looking at over the past several weeks, that we should be praying for other people. But right here, let's be honest, there are times that we need to focus some on ourselves, that there are times that we need to take our personal struggles to God. There are times that we need to take our personal heartaches to God. There's times that we need to take our irritations and our temptations. We need to take those to God that we've got to do that ourselves. And if Paul, the great apostle, is saying, hey, listen, this may be something small and insignificant to anybody else, but it was enough for me to take it to God, then that's what we need to be doing in our life as well. Understand there's nothing wrong with praying for the personal stuff in your life. In fact, it's in line with what Paul is doing, and it's in line with what Peter tells us to do. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, a familiar passage for lots of you, he says, casting your cares on Him, or casting all your care on Him, because He cares for you. Listen, you can learn a lot about what the Bible says by what it doesn't say. Pay attention to what Paul or what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say cast all other people's cares on him because he cares for other people. Right? I want you to think about that for a moment. When you sit down with your prayer list and you sit down for your quiet time and you sit down to spend time with God and you start listing out your prayer requests, how much of it are you casting other people's cares on him because he cares for them? But that's not what Peter says. Is that okay to do? Yes. Should we do that? Yes. But Peter doesn't say, hey, pray for everybody else. Cast everybody else's cares on him because he cares for them. No, he says, cast all of your cares... Not just the big ones, not just the overwhelming ones, not the ones that seem significant to you, not the ones that are life or death situations. All of your cares on Him because He cares for all of you. Understand that we can bring our personal stuff, our small stuff, our insignificant stuff, our huge temptations all the way down to the little bitty struggles that seem so insignificant to everybody else. We're called to bring them to Him. Why? Because He is the Father that loves us and the Father that cares for us. And it's okay to take your personal stuff to Him. And I don't know if you ever thought about this or I don't know if you grew up in a church like I did. But, but in my church, the, the church I grew up in, we didn't pray for ourselves. We were like that Bible study group. When we sat down we listed prayer requests, it was all for everybody else. And I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down even with pastors who when we list prayer requests, they're all for everybody else. And Paul is telling us through his passage and through this prayer, listen, it's okay. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your heartache is, whether it's huge, whether it's massive, whether it's a small irritation that you feel and nobody else feels, it's okay. Take it to God because Peter says it casts his cares on you because he cares for you. Give him all the big stuff, little stuff, in between stuff. Give him all the personal stuff of your life because your loving father cares enough for you to take all those things on himself. And so don't ever, ever feel guilty or selfish for praying for your own life. In fact, you're in line with Paul and you're in line with what Peter tells us and scripture tells us to do when we take our personal stuff to him. Several months ago, I bought a a grill that I was going to take with us camping. And I was so excited about getting this grill. It was, it was somewhat a Father's Day gift for me. And so we took it camping the first time, and, and it worked like a charm. It was great. We loved it, and we had a great time, with or I loved it and had a great time with it. I don't know if the food I cooked on it was any good or whatsoever, but it, it was one of those manly things like, hey, I got this new grill. I'm going to use it. And so I was so excited about this thing. And so it worked like a charm the very first time I took it. And then we packed it up, and, and we got ready to go camping a second time. And so we got it all set up, and I got the grill out, and I was all ready to start dinner, and I went to fire that thing up. Nothing. There wasn't anything happening that was supposed to be happening. I'd turn the gas on. I'd push the little knob. I waited the five seconds that you're supposed to wait, which, by the way, is like the longest five seconds of your life, if you've ever had to count that. And then i turned the knob very slowly, and there's that little spark, and nothing. And I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. And so I turned it all off, and I turned it back on, and and still nothing, just that little bitty spark. I was like, oh, well, maybe this gas tank is empty. Well, let me try this other gas tank. So I tried another gas tank, did all the same stuff. Turned it on, pushed the little button, or turned the knob, spark, nothing else. Nothing. And so I did what every respectable man does in that situation. I whipped out my phone, and I Googled. Problems with this specific grill. And then I watched YouTube videos to try to figure out why it wasn't working, all right? If you're a man in this room, don't act like you haven't done it, okay? Everything from working on your car to fixing your grill, you've done it because you're sure not going to ask anybody, all right? So I watched three or four YouTube videos about, hey, this might be the problem or this might be the problem, and so I started trying all those things, and I watched several of those videos several times, and so then I followed through, and it was kind of odd to probably watch this go through because here's this guy who's got this grill set up, and he's all excited, and now he's watching his phone, and he's like, all right, step one, do this. Like, and so I followed these videos step by step by step, and I put them on slow motion so I can follow them and make sure that I was doing the right thing. And I did everything those videos told me to do, and I was like, all right, this is going to work. And so I pushed the little button, I turned the knob slowly, spark, nothing else. I was like, man, this is, something right about this. So then I did what every other respectable man does. I found the customer service number, and I called the customer service people, and And so then the lady on the customer service was very nice to me, and she said, oh, okay, well, sometimes that happens, and so here's what we can do. And so she starts walking me through this process, which is the same process that I've watched this video over and over and over and the same process that I've done over and over and over again. And so she's like, all right, so now you've done all this, you've reset the regulator, and and so uh, you're ready to to do this. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I, I pushed the little knob, I turned the little button, spark, nothing else. And I was like, okay. So I said, maybe... Maybe I don't know what I'm doing, okay? I'm willing to admit that maybe there's something that I'm doing wrong in this situation. And so she, I said, Ma'am, I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but I don't have instructions for this book or this grill anymore. She's like, No, no man has instructions for that grill anymore. That's okay. And I said maybe just walk me through what I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me step-by-step what I'm supposed to do. And she said, okay. So she walked me through exactly step-by-step. This is how you light this grill. And so I did it, and I pushed the button, I turned the little knob, spark, nothing else. And so I told Lane, she's like, oh, well, maybe this is the problem. You need a new regulator. So we're going to send you a new regulator, and once you get that new regulator, hook it up, everything's going to work perfect. And I was like, great. So I waited for weeks for my new regulator to come, and and by then we were getting ready to go camping again, and I wasn't very smart, and I just grabbed that new regulator, and I packed up the camper, and I packed up the the grill, and everything was ready, and we got to the campsite. I hooked it all up, and I got the new regulator on there, and this is going to be perfect. So I turned the gas on, I pushed the little button, I turned the knob, spark. Nothing. You've got to be kidding me something's not right about this. And so I tried it several different ways. I even tried sticking like a real lighter in there and trying to light it that way because maybe the spark wasn't doing what I needed to do. I couldn't figure it out. And so I did, again, what every respectful man does at this point. I called customer service again. And I said, listen, here's the deal. I explained it all to him. And I said, this is not working. And she said, well, no, that, that can't be the problem. And I said, well, I I don't know what the problem is, but I just know that I bought this grill and it's used it once, and now it's not working. And she said, well, every one of those regulators that we send, they're quality tested, that they have been quality tested to make sure they work. And so, so I assure you that's not the problem. And so she was convinced, and at this point she had me convinced that I just had no clue what I was doing, that something was not happening because I wasn't doing something right, whether I was doing it out of step or out of sequence or I was waiting too long to push the button or not turning the knob fast enough. Something, there was some step that I was missing. And so I tried this, and I tried that, and I tried this. And so she's on the phone. She's like, all right, now try this way. So I tried that. Nothing. I tried this way. I tried that. Nothing. And so she was giving me all this sound advice. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, one of her steps was, all right, when you, when you turn the gas on, I'm going to count to 10. This is how le- this is the level we got to. I'm going to count to 10. And when I get to 10, you need to only have turned it a quarter of a turn. And so here I am on the phone out by my camper. And I'm like, one, two, three. Four. And she's like, are you there yet? And I was like, no, you said wait till 10. Good, I'll just make sure you're with me. And so when she got to 10, I was like an eighth of a turn. And I, so then I turned a little faster because I was wanting to do what she... And so finally, we just kept going over and over and over stuff on this grill. And, and so she, was, she had me convinced that, that there was something we were both missing. And, and I knew that I wasn't doing something right because this thing wasn't working like it was supposed to. There's supposed to be fire. And at this point, there's supposed to be stakes on this puppy. And there's not. I got Nothing. And so finally she goes, okay, there is nothing that you're doing wrong because you have done exactly everything that I've told you to do. We're just going to send you a whole new grill. And I was like, now we're talking. This is where we probably should have went in the first place. Okay, So they're going to send me. I haven't got it yet, so just know. Um, when I get it, I'll, give, I'll tell you another story about it, I'm sure. But um, at this point, I haven't got it. But I don't know if you've ever been in this place with your prayer life where you're expecting something to, to do, you're expecting your prayer to be answered, and then all of a sudden you just twist that knob and you pray for something, and you're expecting a big flame, you're expecting something awesome to happen, and you get a spark and then nothing else. I don't know if you've ever had that in your prayer life. I don't know if you've ever had the moments where you're like, okay, well, maybe I didn't do something right. Let me try this again. And you push the knob, you prayed that prayer again, and you still get nothing. And I can tell you that if you have prayed for something very long, there's a very good chance that you've had the same experience with your prayer life. That there is something that you prayed for either days or weeks or sometimes years that you're expecting something big and something great to happen, and all you're met with is silence. And I can tell you that in those moments, when that happens, and some of you are very aware of what it feels like because you've been there. For, for some of you, maybe you haven't. But when that happens, one of the first instincts we have is to try to figure out what we're doing wrong. Because if our prayers aren't getting answered, then there must be something that we're not doing. Because God can answer any prayer, right? God loves us. He's going to talk to us. He's going to answer our prayers. And so if we're not getting an answer, we must be the problem in the equation. And so we're kind of like the lady is in, in trying to figure out what is it that we're doing wrong that's causing this, to pro, this problem. And so what we need to understand is that when Paul prays this prayer, he's met with silence. And it doesn't mean that he's praying the prayer wrong. In fact, if you look back in verse 8 with me, he says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take this away from me. And most scholars will tell you that they highly doubt Paul only prayed for this three times. I know that's what it says, and you're like, wait, the Bible says he prayed for it three times. But understand Paul is writing in a Hebrew context, and he uses Hebrew language. And so when he writes that he says this three times, that's a Hebrew way of saying, I've asked for this over and over and over again. Okay, So just because it says three doesn't mean he's limited to three. He has probably prayed this prayer multiple times and realized that he prayed it at least three. And so that means the first time he prayed it, he got nothing. The second time he prays it, he gets nothing. The third time, even if it is just these three times, he gets an answer. But it takes at least those three times before he gets anything. And so when we get to this point where we kind of try to figure out what's going on, maybe we're not using the right words. Maybe there's some kind of wording that I should be using to to get my prayers answered. And so i got to tell you that if you're questioning the wording of your prayer, then understand that Paul doesn't tell us what words he uses. I don't know if he uses the same words. I don't know if he uses different words every single time. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us if he ends his prayer with in Jesus' name, in Christ's name, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell us how he ends his prayer because it's not important. Do you realize that? If Paul had some magical formula, if Paul knew the exact words to get his prayer answered, guess how many times he'd have prayed? One. And guess what? If he knew, if he prayed one time and it didn't get an answer and he prayed the second time and he did get an answer because he prayed a different set of words, don't you think he'd have told us that? Hey, listen, if you guys want your prayers answered, this is what your prayer has to include. This is the wording that you should use. If there were certain words that we had to use to make God hear our prayers, then don't you think Jesus would have told us those words when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that we all learned was kids? Don't you think he would have told us that? Don't you think when when... When he came down, Jesus came down off the mountain and his, his disciples were down there and they were trying to get this demon out and, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't get this demon out of this, this young person. And, and Jesus walks in and he just casts out the demon. And they're like, why couldn't we do that? And he says, well, this one only comes out with fasting and prayer. Some of you remember that story. Don't you think that if there were certain words they had to say, then he would have taught them those words and included them in Scripture for us? There would have been. He would have included that because He would have wanted our prayers to be answered like His prayers were. But He doesn't. Why? Because it doesn't matter the words that you say. And so if your prayers aren't being answered, I can assure you, it's not because you're not using the right words. I can assure you, it's not because you didn't end your prayer the right way. It's not because you didn't say amen before you were done or you fell asleep praying or because you didn't end it in Jesus' name or the Father, the Son. It's not because you didn't have the magical words to say. And some people, when they, they don't have their prayers answered, it's not so much the Word. They, they say, well, maybe there wasn't a passion, or maybe the, it wasn't the right attitude. But I want you to notice very closely the words that Paul uses in verse 8. He said, I pleaded with the Lord. To plead means to beg or to strive to appease somebody. This is Paul begging for Christ to do this, begging for God to take this away. This is a very humble position, and he's striving to please God. God, I will do anything if you will take this away. Just, just take this away from me, and I will do anything. Whatever it is that you ask, I'll do it. Understand, Paul is very clearly demonstrating humility. He's got this right attitude, and there's definitely passion here because notice he doesn't say, "I ask God to take it away. He says, no, I have pleaded with God. There is passion in this word. There is passion in Paul's prayer. This is a very passionate word. And so Paul has an attitude of humility. He's got passion. And yet, what does he get? Still no answer. And so there are many people who will tell you, well, if your prayers are not being answered, it's because you have a lack of faith. All right. And so I want to be clear this morning that people will tell you that this lack of faith is the reason you're not getting your prayers answered. And So lack of faith may have something to do with it, But I want to remind you again who we're talking about. This is Paul the apostle. This is Paul who has met Jesus face to face. This is Paul that just verses before this was telling you about how he'd been called up to heaven and seen heaven with his own eyes. Understand that this is a man who has been able to cast out demons. This is a man who has healed the sick. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says that God was performing extraordinary miracles at Paul's hands or by Paul's hands. Listen, if anybody had faith to do their prayer life and to get their prayer life moving, Paul would have done it. I mean, think about all this stuff that Paul's been able to do. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. God is doing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. And if, God, if Paul's got enough faith to do those miracles, then why wouldn't he have enough faith to get this prayer answered? And so the problem with Paul's prayer is not his lack of faith. It's not that he's lacking faith by any means. There was no lack of faith in Paul's life and his prayer life by any means. And so I want you to understand, I go through this because this is directly against what we hear so often, this name it and claim it uh, prosperity gospel that that are preached over and over and over a day. That God will give you whatever you ask. You you just have to name it and claim it and proclaim it. And then if you've got enough faith, God's going to make it happen. Can I tell you that in this morning... There are pulpits all across this nation that that's what's being taught to people. That if you just tell God what you want and you really believe it with all your heart that he'll do it, then he'll do it. He'll make it happen. It doesn't matter what it is, he's going to make it happen. Our job is to name it and claim it and have enough faith that it's going to happen. And I don't know how you connect that idea with what Paul is dealing with here. Because if anybody had passion, if anybody had faith to make it happen, it should have been Paul. And so let's be honest. Let's confront the prosperity, name it, and claim it gospel right now. If Paul didn't have enough faith and didn't have enough passion in his prayer to get his prayer answered... Michael Rakes has no hope of getting my prayers answered. And guess what? You probably don't either. I don't know where your faith is at. I don't know how strong your faith is. But if Paul doesn't have it, I'm guessing you don't either. Maybe you're better than Paul. Maybe you've seen the third level of heaven. Maybe you've experienced God face to face. But my simple guess is that, that if faith was the problem, then Paul should have had his answer all along. And so if your prayers are being met by silence, it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean there's a lack of faith. It doesn't mean there's a lack of passion. It doesn't mean you're using the wrong words. It may simply mean that God's got an answer for you that you're not ready for. Or maybe God's got an answer that He's already given you You just didn't want to accept it. So maybe the simple answer of your prayers not being answered or the silence that you're hearing is because you're just not ready to listen to what God has. Because what God has for you may be not what you're asking for, but it may be a much better answer than what you were thinking. You see, that's where we get to this idea of what Paul gets when he gets his answer. He is very clear in what he wants. God, I want you to take this away from me. Take away this, uh, this, whatever this is that's bothering him, that's bothering me, that I'm struggling with. God, whatever it is, take this away from me. And Paul gets this very clear answer, an answer that we don't like. No. Now, there's a little more to it when God says it, so we're going to look at that, but... Think about it. The request is simply, God, take this away from me. I can't do it. I don't want it. This is bothering me. And God says, no. Well, no, God can't say that. He's a loving God. He always gives us what we need and what we want. No. He gives us what we need, but not always what we want. In fact, what Paul needed was not for the thorn to be taken away, what he needed was to learn more about who God is and what God has for him. We see that in verse 9. Paul, God gives Paul a very different, very unexpected answer, but yet a much better answer to his prayer. He says in verse 9, But he said to me, God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness talking about this particular passage in verse 9, an English theologian, he says, I want you to understand the understatement that's happening here. He says, do you understand, do you see the humor of this situation? God's grace, me. His grace sufficient for little me. How absurd to think that it could be any different. He says, it's as if a small fish was swimming in the ocean and the fish feared that he would drink up the ocean dry. The grace of our crucified, risen, exalted, triumphant Savior, the Lord of all glory, is surely sufficient for me. How modest it was for God to say that His grace is sufficient for us. Paul is praying, God, will you remove this thorn from my flesh? And God says, no, but I'll do something better for you. God, will you will You take this away from me? He says, no, but I'll give you a better understanding of who I am, and I'll give you a better understanding of how you're dependent on me. And Paul didn't get what he wanted, but he got exactly what he needed the most. And, and what he didn't need, he didn't need the thorn to be removed. What he needed was to know that God's grace was sufficient, regardless of how bad the situation was, regardless of how tough it was, regardless of how difficult this was. God's grace was sufficient. David Guzik writes that when Paul is desperate in his desire to find relief from this burden, and he says there's two ways to relieve a burden off of somebody: you either remove the burden and you take it off of them, or you strengthen the shoulders of the person who's carrying it. Paul wanted it removed, but God says, "No, I'm going to strengthen you instead." And so, in, in understanding that, Paul gives or God gives him what he needs because he reveals to Paul Paul's own weakness he reveals to Paul Paul you cannot do this and you shouldn't try to do this on your own but you can trust in me because what I've got is sufficient for what you're dealing with That everything you're dealing with the struggles that you're dealing with weak, small, whatever it is when you are weak I am made strong when you are weak you begin to depend on my grace and so what we see is God answers this prayer in this unexpected unplanned and honestly an unwanted way that wasn't what Paul wanted but we can trust the answer that he gives because what He gives is always going to be for His glory and for our good. Did you hear that? Every answer that we get is for His glory and our good. It doesn't mean we have to like it. It doesn't mean that this is what we wanted. It doesn't mean this is what we were planning for. But it is for our good. In fact, it lines up with what Paul teaches In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when he says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. This unexpected answer was for Paul's good. This unexpected answer was for our good. This unexpected, unwanted answer was to teach Paul and to teach us this is what it looks like not to be self-sufficient. This is what it looks like to have to depend on someone else. This is what it looks like to realize how big God is compared to how small you are. And yeah, I may have called you up into the third heaven. I may have let you see heaven. But you should have realized at that moment that I am so much bigger than you ever imagined. And so it took Paul not getting what he wanted to understand that everything he gets is for God's glory and for His good. Whether he liked it or not, we learn to trust. And when we learn to trust the, the better answer, we begin to change our point of view. Do you realize that when Paul started this in verse 7, he says that I have this burden, I have this thorn in my flesh, it was given to me, it was a messenger of Satan. All that's negative. Paul is hating this situation. But I want you to see how his viewpoint changes once he gets this answer at the end of verse 9. He says, Therefore, I will most gladly, or, yeah, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses." So that Christ's power may reside in me. And going on to verse 10. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecution, and in pleasures because of Christ. Get this for when I am weak, then I am strong. At one time, Paul saw this as a burden. He saw this as something he wanted to be taken away from him. He saw this as something he didn't want anymore. But now it's changed. He says, listen, this is something I'm going to boast in. This is something I'm proud of. This is something I'm going to wear now, not as a, a sword in my flesh or a thorn in my flesh, but this is a battle scar that I'm going to say, look at what God can do. Listen to how insufficient I am and how sufficient God is. Look at how weak I am, but how much God resides in me. And so Paul's whole viewpoint has changed about what the situation is because, listen, now he's not frustrated or frustrated with his weakness. Now he's not trying to cover up his weakness. He said, listen, I'm going to brag about my weakness because when I am weak, Christ is strong. When I am at my bottom, Christ is there to pick me up. When I have nothing left, Christ is there to fill me up. Understand that I will brag about how weak I am because it allows me to show how great my God is. You see, sometimes when we pray and we don't get the answer we want, it's not because God's trying to be mean to you. Maybe it's because God's trying to show you something, either about you or about Him, that you didn't know and you wouldn't have gotten any other way. In fact, a great author, D. A. Carson, simply wrote this. He said, "Part of this business of prayer is getting to know God better. Part of it is learning His mind, His will, and His heart. And it ties it up with teaching me to want that His or teaching me or about His heart." so that I can align my heart and my desires with His. You see, when we pray, do we want an answer? Yes. Of course we do. And when we pray, sometimes the answer is yes. when we pray, sometimes the answer is no. When we pray, sometimes it's going to be met with silence for a long period of time, but eventually the answer is going to be coming. And when the answer comes, it may be a very different answer, but it's going to be a much better answer because it's given by God and it's an opportunity to learn more about Him and His desires so that we can align ourselves with His desires. You see, when, when Christ teaches about prayers and the Scripture teaches about prayers and He says ask and it will be given to you, He's not talking about your selfish desires What will be given to you is the desires of your heart when your heart is aligned with what God's heart is aligned with. And so understand that when your prayers are not answered, it's not because God's mad at you, it's not because you didn't have the right formula, it's not because you didn't have the right faith. When you get an answer that you didn't expect, and i got to tell you, I've seen it over and over and over. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've sat with a family and they are praying for healing to take place. That, that someone is close to death or and they're praying that God will step through with a miracle, that He'll restore this person that they love and they'll be healed. And then all of a sudden that person dies. And the family's like, wait, that, that's not at all what we were praying for. And there's part of me that wants to just scream out to them, that's exactly what you were praying for. Because what they are experiencing now is a healing far beyond what you thought you were going to be able to give them. You see, what you wanted was you wanted them here with you so that you could enjoy them but what you gave them by praying that God would heal them and restore them was that you gave them an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. You gave them an opportunity if they believed in Christ to, to now they are living this restored life that they don't have the pains that they are having now. They don't have the ailments they have now. They're not laying in a hospital bed just so they can have a conversation with you. They're not breathing through an oxygen machine so they can have, have enough breath to talk to you. They're not feeling any of that. You see, what you got was the answer to your prayer. It just looked very different than what you were expecting. And what you learned was God can do it. He just may do it in a very different way. I talked to somebody a couple weeks ago about they were praying for a financial situation. And, and they were praying that, that God would take care of their finances. And the person said, you know, then I, I started praying this. And, and then they continued on and, and the, you know, God started answering this prayer. And this job came in, and he started answering this prayer, and this job came in, and he started answering this prayer, and this job came in, and he said, I didn't realize that I had such power in my prayers, that I didn't realize that when God, I asked God for stability in our finances that He was going to pour all this work onto us. I didn't realize that when God was going to give us stability in our finances that maybe one day all this was going to be taken away. But He was giving it to me now so that I was able to handle it when it was taken away. You see, sometimes to get to stability, we've got to go through some uncertainty to get there. To get to the point where we learn that grace is sufficient, sometimes we've got to deal with a thorn in our flesh. And we've got to realize that it's not always best when that's taken out. Sometimes it's best when it's left in, because we learn to align our heart with the God of the universe. And so when our prayers are not answered, it may not be because we don't say it right. It may not be because we don't have enough faith. It may not be because we haven't said the right words. It may simply be because God's got a better answer or God's waiting to teach you so much more about Himself than you would ever learn if you got all what you wanted. Let's pray together.